Hello, Wukar Nation. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the WooCast. We've got on the line with, with us um, my buddy Jason Moffat. And for those of you who don't know, Jason is kind of an, an online personality, uh, marketing rock star. And uh, what I really like about Jason, he just has a really great attitude and has built himself a really amazing and just fun life um, and using internet marketing as a way to kind of fuel and finance that. And I think Jason's approach is really refreshing because he's not really, I mean, he's money driven as much as it, you know, we all, we're all doing this to make money, but Jason really kind of prioritizes. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, you know, you, you're more interested in creating a lifestyle than a bank account. Uh, yeah, definitely. But I also am aware that you need the bank account sometimes to do a lot of the expensive fun activities. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> I think I spent, I probably spent like 3,500 bucks on surfboards the last two weeks. So <laughs> you can, and you can surf, you know, on a piece of plywood if you're broke, but, uh, I do like some of the nicer things in life at times. Well, I, I get that. I, you know, as you know, I'm a cyclist, and uh, yeah, I could ride a Huffy, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, boy, I did a demo day one time up on Mount Hood, and I rode an $8,000 Santa Cruz bike, and I was blown away that bikes even cost $8,000. <laughs> yeah, but you got on it, and you kind of figured you're, oh. you could yeah, see I, why, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw why, and I cruised down this hill way faster than I should have been going. I also had the new uh, GoPro camera that day so i wanted to film myself going down this single track hill and i was just mashing super fast and uh but the bike held up so well and then the very next day i took my um you know giant mountain bike which is all right mountain bike mm -hmm. up to timberline and i went over the handlebars three times <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh sometimes having good equipment will uh, save you yeah, well, you know, I mean, having the good equipment is kind of why we do all this stuff. You know, you, I, I never, I have a ridiculously expensive mountain bike and road bike that are in that neighborhood for sure, <laughs> price-wise. But, you know, it's, uh, that's why we work hard is so we can afford the nice stuff and, and to play hard. Totally. You know, I mean, it's, it all depends on what you're into. Our, our mutual friend, Matt Trainer, you know, he's, he's a car guy, so he has really cool cars and, you know, more power to him. That's why we do this. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll have really nice guitars or bikes, or and then I'll be fine. I could drive a five hundred dollar Toyota Celica, and I couldn't care less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's that's kind of. I mean, I, you know, I have a Toyota pickup truck. It's just fine for me. Not to say that I wouldn't like something nicer, but yeah, you know, it's interesting. Actually, I I drive a Toyota Tacoma here in Hawaii. And where I live, it's just not the kind of place where you would flash a fancy automobile. So the Tacoma fits in just perfectly with all the locals. Uh, they're such bomber trucks. I mean, I, that's what I've got is a Tacoma. And it's like, God, it's so awesome. It never, it always runs. It's, you know, yep. it's low maintenance. And it's just, yeah, I, I can't say enough good thing. That we're going to turn this into a Toyota commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, one of the stories that has probably been told a lot, but, you know, one of the things that really impresses me is that, you know, you say you're not about the money, but you actually live it and you prove it. I mean, if a number of years ago, you were kind of really at the top of your game in terms of your income and you just walked away from it all and got in a motorhome and and lived on the road for how, how long did you, was that, did that trip? 
You know, it was off and on. It went on for a few different years, and I sold the motorhome, then got a different motorhome, and, um, you know, just when I would feel, I don't know, a little constricted by sitting at a desk or something, I would just jump in the motorhome and drive. Mm -hmm. And it was... Uh, the reason that I gave up the business, though, is like I had a personal assistant working for me and basically ran all the technical aspects of my business. And he decided to go work with his church, and I, you know I couldn't fault the guy for that. You know, so I was supportive of him leaving, but I didn't know how to run my own business, right. and it was just overwhelming. I mean, I could have figured it out, but it's just you know not where my skill set lies. And dealing with these techie crap and my Joomla site was getting hacked and. It was just so overwhelming that I was like, you know, I'm just going to shut it all down. And, and I had a you know, very flourishing six-figure business um, without having to do all that much. I just shut all the products down and said, you know, I'm going to go out on the road and just sell stuff as an affiliate. And I expected it to last maybe, I don't know, a few months and then figured I'd have to figure something out. Well, like five years went by. <laughs> <laughs> I was still making money with the same list. The same, you know, I hadn't built really new leads, and I just kept sharing my adventures and my stories, and I had a big enough group of people that stuck with me through all that and basically kept me afloat. And the really promising thing is, during that time, I never really had over 1,000 people at any time reading my emails. So I think a lot of people are under this impression you have to have this massive list of 100,000 people to make a lot of money. That's not necessarily true. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's one thing that I, you know, is really refreshing to hear because you, know, you, you, you get sucked into the online you know, making money community and you, you, know, you see these guys that are just killing it, that you know, have been doing it for years and years and years and you know, that do have these huge lists. But it's really refreshing to hear somebody. I mean, you know, I consider you one of the pioneers. I mean, you were one of the first people that I found you know, when I started going, you know, going the online business route. And uh, you know, you've always been really down to earth in terms of you know, how you did it. And, you know, I don't think you're really holding a whole lot back. And I think it's, it's hard for people to believe that when they hear you, you know, hear you talk about it, because you, you know, you do make it sound so simple. And in a lot of ways, it really is that simple. You know, a lot of people like to overcomplicate it. Yeah, it's, I wish I could transfer like what I do to more people. And I try my best, but it's, it's interesting to watch people, you know, once, once the mic's on or once the camera's on them, it's like they go into this acting mode or this marketing mode, whereas I just try to stay the same. I try not to be any different when I'm on camera, when I'm off camera, um, you know, when I'm chatting with my friends or chatting with a business prospect. I like to stay really even about things and consistent so people believe me. And um, I think that's the big hurdle we're all trying to get over when we're trying to sell stuff. The person on the other end's like, you know, calling BS constantly. Mm -hmm. And if you can diffuse that, then you can actually get them to listen a little bit better. And I think I've always done kind of a good job of doing that. Well, I think that's why your list is so. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I get your emails. I've, I've been on your list for a long time, and it's so. It's always impressive that. You know, your lists are more about just building a connection with your audience. They're not really salesy at all. And you just, you, know, you build trust and you build a relationship with your audience. 
Today's today's email. I was sending out an email asking people who wanted to gamble on Donald Trump being president. I saw that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've already taken thousands of dollars of bets. Oh, nice. I, I personally don't think he'll be president, um, but a lot of people passionately believe and think that he will, and are betting me even odds. And so um, I've been taking bets right and left. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in your. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really think he wants to be president either. Honestly, I think he's just kind of doing a pattern interrupt and just stirring the pot because he can. I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I think he. Could, yeah, I'm. I'm. I can see him wanting it for ego reasons. I could see him then maybe a year into it going, "Oh my gosh, what did I do? Can I quit this job?" Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, and definitely don't want to don't want to turn this into a political discussion because yeah, that, yeah, totally. that could get mean, ugly I, quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I in the email I said too because I mean it's really dangerous for me to send out an email like that because you know people are going to be half and half on the political spectrum. Um, so I kind of cushioned it a little bit by you know saying, hey, I don't hate Trump, and there's actually some things I actually really admire about him. I love him calling out BS. And in marketing, that's one of the um, easy ways to really galvanize and really connect with an audience is really um, playing the us versus them. You know, every, someone's out there trying to screw you, you know, whether it's the car sales guy or, or what. There's always someone out there trying to screw you and everyone's looking for a, someone to stand up for the little guy. I don't know necessarily Trump stand up for the little guy, but just the fact that he's standing up to the politicians and people that were all so frustrated on both sides of the aisle. Um, he's got a really core group of people that are just so galvanized to his message. And I think that's what a lot of marketers lack. They're trying to appease so many people, trying to, um, you know, just be vanilla. And nobody wants vanilla ice cream, man. They want the, you know, they want the Rocky Road or the Neapolitan. They want some kind of flavor, not just just toeing the line. Yeah, and to your point earlier, I think he's, you know, I think Trump's probably a lot, pretty much the same guy on camera and off camera. I believe so, too. And I think that's why he does so well, because he's believable in his conviction of what he's saying. Yeah. And I loved in the, the first debate where he talked about, uh, you know, I give I give politicians money and they do what I want. You know, he just exposed <laughs> the whole. <laughs> you know, I think on the on the other end, too, I think that's why so many people are so attracted to Bernie Sanders, because he's not coming up there with talking points. I don't think he's rehearsing his speech with speech writers constantly. He's just getting up there and speaking from the heart and saying the same things he's been saying for 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. And that's really obvious when you're listening to him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, it's just people want authenticity now. They don't want, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything good or bad about Hillary or um, Jeb Bush, but, you know, those guys are part of the machine and they're part of the kind of the old school way of doing things. And they, you know, they have their talking points. They have, they don't go off script. And I think people are tired of that. Yeah, I saw I saw two different studies, one for Trump and one for, for Bernie, basically saying that they were speaking at a, what would be the right words? They were speaking to, not the lowest common denominator, but they were speaking in a way that appealed to more people because it was much more simple. Yeah. So when I'm writing copy, I'm writing copy usually to Homer Simpson and trying to keep it you know as simple as possible. In fact, I use a tool... Um, called the Hemingway app and I shoot for about a fourth or fifth grade reading level mm -hmm. which may shock a lot of people 
but um, you know, I don't want any hiccups when people are reading. So, and it doesn't read like a Dr. Seuss book or anything when you write at that level, but it's just getting rid of a lot of large words and stuff that just really doesn't need to be in there. Yeah, well, I think most newspapers try to write at that level as well. I mean, I'm not saying that facetiously. I mean, I think it's actually they, tr you know, they they write at you know a grade school level so that people can can grasp it. You know, everybody can grasp it and take what they want from it. There's, you know, that's the idea. Yeah. Hey, buddy, I'm going to turn off this little mini fridge I got sitting right next to me. It's got a little hum. I don't know if you can hear it, but I want your sure. listeners to have the best sound. So give me 12 seconds. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> All right. I don't know if that helps any, but, you know, it's interesting too. Like sometimes people will be so afraid to do something like that in the middle of a uh, broadcast, like, oh, it's unprofessional or <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I think I've never shied away from just real life. And so, you know, you could be on stage speaking or you could be doing your thing that you think is all important. And then like maybe a baby starts crying in the audience and some people might try to ignore it when you could actually use that moment because it's real. Everyone else hears it. You address it and, and use it in there instead of trying to sweep it under the rug and keep everything so incredibly professional. Yeah, you know, and again, going back to the political thing, you know, Bernie and Trump are kind of both doing that, whereas, you know, the other candidates, they kind of take that newscaster voice stance when they make their speech and they talk very correct and to the point, whereas those guys just kind of shoot off the hip and they, you know, it's like they're having a conversation with the audience, whereas the other guys are talking at the audience, they're talking to the audience. Yeah, it's the same with the podcast we're doing here, because I know a lot of guys that will do a show with very structured notes mm -hmm. and I have none. And in fact, you know, I really had no idea what we we're going to talk about and preferred that because I have a relationship with you who's just a likable dude. And I know that we're just going to jump on and have a real conversation instead of one that seems canned. Right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how, I mean, I'm, I'm bad at prepping anyway, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, it's, it's, that's what I, you know, those are the podcasts that I listen to. You know, I like your, you know, your podcast is great because you kind of do that with your guests as well. And it kind of, you know, just shows it's, it's a real raw thing. You know, it's just two people having a conversation and hopefully people can glean some, you know, some nuggets and some gems from it. Totally. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, um, you know, that I think is really cool with you is you've got a bunch of really kick-ass hobbies. You're, you know, a surfer, a stand-up paddleboarder, snowboarder, mountain biker. Um, you now have a family that you, you know, is very important to you and spend, you spend a lot of time with. Um, as somebody who is easily distracted by fun, um, I know I have a really hard time when it's, you know, it's like a blue ribbon powder day and I want to go snowboarding, but I've got work to do. Um, you know, or it's a great day to go biking. And I, you know, how do you, what are you, what are the things that you, and I know you probably struggle with it like everybody, but you're also very effective and you get, you get a lot of stuff done. What are the kind of the tips and tricks that you use to stay on task? Well, man, that's, if it's snowing and there's powder, I'm not working. There's, just, <laughs> there's no way. And if there's really good ways, I'm not working. So I pretty much prioritize the fun stuff. Now, having a family and two kids, one with autism, it's required me to slightly shift a bit um, because obviously I got to put the kids before 
all my <clears throat> fun activities. Sure. Um, but now we got them in school. Today's the first day, actually. We got both the kids in school. We have like a seven-hour window to ourselves. We're like, oh, my gosh, I wanted to make this meme of me <laughs> and my lady with our hands in the air and like a school bus driving away. <laughs> it, says, it says freedom over the top, like made with a Braveheart guy. But um, here, here's how I've been able to stay on task. I've actually never been able to stay on task for more than, I don't know, maybe an, a, a half an hour, hour. I mean, I've never really done a four-hour chunk of work in my life. I just don't have the capacity to do that, and I'm just so easily distracted by other things. Um, I, I take it back. I might have a few times, but... What I've always done, and I'm very hesitant of recommending this to other people, is I'll make these huge promises or maybe write a sales letter and then I'll collect a bunch of money from people mm-hmm. that will then force me to have to fulfill the deadline and, and get everything done. And so for me, that's been a huge motivator because I don't want to let anybody down. I don't want, you know, there's really no bad press about me online and I'm going to knock on wood and try to, you know, keep delivering so that that never happens. But my big motivator is to just announce something or take a big pile of money from a bunch of customers and pre-sell something that doesn't exist yet and then Mm -hmm. make it. And so it's usually like... You know, the night before it's due, I'm up at 4 a.m. cranking something out. And um, I know that might give a lot of people a ton of stress and and they couldn't do that. They need to be a little bit more prepared. But I kind of thrive on variety and being backed into the corner. And it really helps me to do my best. And I actually enjoy that bit of thrill. And I think in a way it's kind of like maybe mountain biking down a trail where you don't know what's around the corner. But you're hauling ass, and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, and you know whatever comes up, you're going to be able to handle it. Exactly, and so you feel confident enough that it gives you a little bit of that edge. And same thing kind of with uh, with speaking or even doing stand-up comedy sometimes. You know, some people need a PowerPoint, um, or they would freak out. And I love the idea of getting freaked out and, and being all nervous and then getting up there and trying to work through that. It's kind of the same thing with, like, uh, you know, flirting with women or trying to ask a woman out on a date or for her phone number, all those jitters you get. Mm-hmm. I love those things. I mean, it's just so rare for that to happen to me. So if, if it does happen to me, I really cherish the moment and try to use it to my advantage. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to kind of figure out what works for them too. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not a get up and have a schedule for the day kind of guy that doesn't, it just doesn't work well for me. And yeah. it sounds like you're kind of similar, but you know, some people need that and some people, ha- you know, have to have that structure in, in order to be effective. Um, but you know, I think I love the idea of creating, you know, creating your own deadline and kind of forcing yourself to do that. You know, I, I always tell, you know, the people I, I work as a personal trainer as, as you probably know. And so I, when I start with a new client, the first thing I have them do is get an accountability partner, like somebody in their family or a friend, and and go announce to them like what they're going to do, and have the, and have somebody hold them to it because it kind of creates that same situation where you're like, oh crap, I put this out there and now I have to do it. Yeah, I think everyone's strengths lie in different places too, and uh, I took the Colby assessment analysis one time, and um, I came out of. 
they rank you on four different things and basically show your skill set where you're strong or weak uh, in, in your business and I was a 5194 and 9 is for quick starting on a scale of 1 to 10 I'm a 9 wow excuse me and so I, I'm really good at like getting things up really quick and um, you know speed of implementation on an idea I don't need to have all the pieces to start something I will just go to town register a domain start making copy put up a video without any real understanding of what the end goal is going to look like but when it comes to follow through I'm a one mm-hmm. and <laughs> I don't, I, so don't ask me to finish up something and I think it's a really good thing to know your strengths and weaknesses because I shouldn't necessarily spend all my time becoming a better closer. I should just focus where I'm really, really strong at being a quick starter and then align myself with a bunch of closers. Right. And so if you're hiring somebody new or you're thinking about um, joining up with somebody in a joint venture or becoming business partners, that Colby assessment analysis is uh, something you may really want to look at because you don't necessarily always want to partner with somebody who has all the same skill sets that you do. And particularly if, like me, you know, you're a quick starter, but you're a horrible finisher. You don't want to partner up with somebody who's also a horrible finisher. Yeah, no, that's an important point because, you know, with Wukar, I've had, you know, Wukar kicking around in my head since like 2006. And, you know, I finally kind of started really taking it serious about about two years ago. And then, but it still really languished until I, you know, until I connected with Matt and Tarlise and, you know, we started building a team to, to kind of really get this vision up and running. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, re- I'm a really good big idea, big picture guy and getting, you know, like you said, just kind of getting the ball rolling, but getting it to the finish line, I'm pretty terrible at. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's frustrating and it's, uh, but, it, but now, you know, I've always known that, but I've never really built a team to kind of fill in those gaps. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. And I think that there's probably a lot of people out there, you know, that are kicking themselves or feeling a little frustrated with their lack of progress. And when you kind of know these things and can reach out, there's so many people out there just struggling on their own and don't really know where to reach out to. And even then when they do reach out to, they're reaching out to the wrong places or they come across a charlatan, just takes all their money. And it can be really confusing and frustrating for a lot of people. And so I think it really helps to get clear on like who you are as a person, where your strengths are, what you really want to do with your day and your time, and um, being able to accurately assess whether or not you're meeting your goals. I think a lot of people just lie to themselves. And um, when you can really get honest and really focus on um, the truth of where you're at and where you want to be and what you need to do to get there, uh, you can have a lot more success than just kind of live in this random fairy tale that you know isn't really working for you. Yeah, and I think you know identifying your strengths and weaknesses, and then finding somebody that can kind of do the weakness stuff for you, because you know it's huge. Because it allows you to kind of do the stuff that you're good at. Like you're you're you know you're probably one of the best copywriters out there, but you know a, a lot of people are will probably be surprised that you know you're not like a you know you're not a programmer. You're not a you know, you can't you can't write code. You don't do you know you don't have all these huge Dude, technical skills. I don't even I don't even know proper grammar, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I have been using uh, 
the Chrome extension Grammarly mm-hmm. uh, for a while, for about the last year though, and I, I've really tried to develop better grammar. Um, but for the first, wow, six, seven years, I, it was atrocious. I remember John Carlton, who is a copywriting legend, who I learned a lot from. Uh, we were hanging out in Melbourne, Australia, in some hotel room, and he taught me the difference between there, there, and there. <laughs> I didn't know. I would always butcher them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but it didn't stop me from making a ton of money writing copy because I knew how to write in the way that most people talked. Yeah. And it wasn't stuffy. So it really didn't matter. In fact, yeah, I think I made like over seven grand on the first sales letter I ever wrote for a client on my first letter. Wow. Yeah, which I mean, a lot of guys that have been doing it for 10 years would be stoked to get that gig right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, it was me just kind of knowing, you know, my value to the to the client at the time and knowing how to sell. And I think ultimately a lot of people just don't know how to sell, or they're afraid. Or they're afraid of it. Yeah, that, it's a, it's a scary thing, you know, asking somebody to put their trust in you and give them give you their money. <laughs> it's a, well, I used to think it was scary, and now I, I now the scarier thing for me is to think that they're going to give it to somebody else who's not going to do nearly as good of a job as I am. And when you feel that way about it, and then, you know, I don't. I used to feel a little, I don't know, conflicted about taking lots of money, and now I realize like I'm the best guy to do it right. for these. And if I don't feel like I am, then I'll turn the client down or try to direct them somewhere where I feel they're going to get a better bang for their buck. But uh, I think yeah, when you have the conviction and you just know, kind of like with your training or or mountain biking, you know, if a guy wanted to go down a certain hill where he, he wasn't prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got him. You know, you might, you wouldn't have any hesitation in any way to, you know, really guide him where he needed to go to his best ability. Right. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great way of thinking about it. Actually, you know, just knowing that, you know, that the person made the right choice by going with you, and uh, and then also having the, uh, you know, not letting your ego get in the way if it's if they're not, you know, if you're not the best person for them, let you know, sending them to the right the person who is. Totally. I think so many people are just trying to get that sale. You know, they're trying to get the first sale or they need to, you know, pay bills. So they need, need, need this person or this amount of money. And the person on the other end can feel that. Mm-hmm. Whether they know it or not, subconsciously, there's just something that just emanates from somebody who's needy yeah. instead of somebody who's just there to truly help. And I think when you can drop that neediness and you're just there to serve, um, you can decide during the call or strategy session if you're the right person or not. And oftentimes if you're not and you refer them off to somebody else, that person may refer you some people who is a good match. And you know, it's so much easier said than done because, well, you know, when people are struggling, you know, it's hard to be in that mindset. He's got to get the money. Yeah. And um, so it, it takes a while to get to that point where you where you can let opportunities pass and not feel so bad about it. Right. Right. So, you know, what? one of my favorite things about, about you is you, you have – you're not really limited into – in ways to – make money i love your uh your quick money hacks on your on your website (laughs) i mean they're i mean they're they're funny but they're also effective i mean you look at them you're like gee some of them are like why didn't i think of that 
Uh, yeah, well, a lot of them are just, you know, it's just hustling 101. You know, I grew up buying and selling stuff in newspaper, classified ads and such. And so when I got on the internet, I just had that mentality. I, I didn't go Google for gurus to teach me anything. I just got on there and started selling stuff on eBay. Mm-hmm. And from eBay, I went to Craigslist. And then I was like, where can I find more people to sell things? And I would see people selling other items that I thought they could have sold for more. And I'd buy them and flip them. And yeah, I'm so diverse in the where I make money. And um, I did really well in real estate this year. And, um, you know, I'm... I'm not a real estate guy at all, <laughs> but I mean, you know, and you can make six figures for not doing much and selling a couple of houses that you got really, you know, I just, I knew a lot of people in a particular neighborhood and I just put all these feelers out and, you know, didn't even have to get both of the transactions I did this year. I didn't even have a conventional loan on them. I just met people and, um, was friends with them and then hooked up a private contract deal sat on the house for a while and then sold them for a really nice profit that's awesome that's uh you know one of the things i think people get caught up in when they you know when they decide they want to you know be the internet do the internet marketing lifestyle or you know the laptop lifestyle what have you you know as they really get focused on you know on one way of making money and when it comes down to really is you know if you want to quit your job you want or you want to you know be the captain of your own ship is it comes down to cash flow and i've always used ebay myself as kind of my go to if ever you know i i still really haven't cracked the nut in terms of you know having really successful affiliate campaigns and things like that but i can always go back to ebay and do bike stuff cuz that's what i know you know i can yeah i can go buy a bike but you know i can find a bike part locally on craigslist that i know somebody's giving away they don't know what they have they don't know Absolutely. the value of it I can buy it and turn it around and sell it the same day and make a profit on it. Totally. It's one of the first things that I tell people to do. I call it cleaning house and just going through your garage or whatnot. And more so than just to make the money, it's just to get you in the flow of creating those transactions and creating money and having to write an ad. Mm -hmm. So many people are so afraid to write an ad and they they come to me and, you know, cry out all their problems about why things aren't going well and I'm like well show me a page right now where I can give you some money and very few can I'm like well you have no pages for me to give you any money on the internet how are you supposed to be making any and they're like oh I'm working on this and got this thing going on I'm like no you have nothing going on (laughs) and you're not working on anything get the buy button up you know and uh, and that's a, a real telltale sign to me as someone who's really in it to win or someone who's just kind of dabbling and still consuming and buying more things Mm -hmm. because you're either going to be a buyer or you're going to be a seller it's an easy trap to fall into when you first start out is getting caught up in the tools you know the tool you got to have this tool you got to have that tool and uh you know when i first started going to um, internet marketing events you know i would corner guys like um, like you and Frank Kern and Matt and people like you know Amish and Jose, you know all the the San Diego Mafia guys, and uh, you know I always corner and say and just like how do you guys do it? What's your secret? And <laughs> and all of them, I mean every single one of them would say, you know it's all in your mindset. You got to think, you know you got to you got to think you're going to win. You got to think you're going to make money, and you get you just got to be positive. And when things come up, you've got to cor- you know correct and get past it. And 
you know, for the, it, I mean, I'm not a very bright guy because it for you know, the first three or four years, I was like, bastards, they've got some secret technology or something that they're not sharing with me. You know, I don't, I don't buy all this mindset woo-woo sh- bullshit, but, but it really know, comes down to it. That's really what it is. But I've watched your... I've watched you for years and watched how much more like confident you've become and likable. And that's the, the main thing. All the guys that you named right there, they're all extremely likable people with a ton of charisma. Yeah. And that's what people really connect with. And so more so, I mean, there's no shortage of charismatic guys out there that have sold crappy software or crappy products and made millions of dollars when there was some other like introverted nerd over there who didn't know how to present himself, has a way superior product, but didn't make anything Yeah, because he wasn't likable. Yeah, that's a great point. It really, I mean, that's what my whole niche famous program is all about, is really teaching people about likability. In fact, there's a book uh, written by Tim Sanders called The Likability Factor. And you read it, and I mean, it's kind of redundant because it's just all about how likability will get you head ahead in all these different avenues of life, which, which everyone already knows. But then it starts going into all these specifics and case studies, and you're just like, wow, you realize prioritizing your likability makes more sense than so many of the other things in your business or having the tools or having the fancy web page or whatnot. I mean, your page can just be white in a video of you, and if you know what you're saying resonates with people, they don't need all that other fancy stuff on the page. Right. Yeah, and you know, the, going back to the likability part, you know, going to you know different events and stuff over the years, you know, one thing I picked up on really quickly was how much you learn outside of the event by like you know going to the bar after with you know with the people from the event and going you know going to the parties and going to things like that. Like the, the first couple of events I went to, I went with this guy from here, you know, a friend of mine from here who was a really strict uh, Mormon guy. You know, doesn't doesn't go to bars, doesn't go to parties and stuff, and he takes things really super serious. So he'd go to the we'd go and we'd get all this information during the day, and then as soon as it was over, he'd be like, "I'm going back to the hotel room to study and you know learn all that you know learn this stuff inside out." I'm like, all right, dude, I'm going to the bar, and then I'd go and hang out with guys like you and you know, and, and Jose and Amish, whatever, and just you know and, and really talk to them as a person, and that's where you really learn. Yeah, well, and it sucks because he's getting stuck into this like group of people that's basically getting pushed into a very systemic funnel, mm-hmm. you know, designed to extract more money out of him. Yeah. You know, I mean, most of those events are pitch fests of some sort. And even when the learning's going on, it's still setting you up for a further sale down the line. And there's nothing wrong with that in any way. Um, but I think a lot of people just forget about the social aspect of all of it and you know a lot of those guys made so much money too because they're friends with everybody and then they got affiliate you know they got their friends to mail for it and they split all the money in an affiliate partnership and had they not been at the bar had they not been one of those likable guys who really got to know somebody they would have never had the opportunity to get those mailings right yeah Cool. It's so true. I mean, it's, 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 you always learn the stuff where you think you're not going to learn it. It's, it's kind of my life lesson for everything. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting to me too. I, I have a thing I teach called advanced networking. And before I go to a, any event, I will look through social media and see who's talking about the event ahead of time. Or if I know the event organizer, I'll ask for, you know, like who's coming to the event 
and I'll make a list of maybe like five, ten people that I really, really want to connect with. But I'll also notice maybe like a hundred others that are going to be at the event. And so I'll use Facebook, check out their likes and see like, hey, what sporting teams do they like? Or what kind of music do they like? Are they married? Do they have kids? What kind of person are they? And I, I have a very photographic memory when I'm paying attention. And I can remember just a ton of stuff about people and who they are. And it's because I'm genuinely interested in these people. I'm not just doing it to, you know, make a sale or whatnot. I'm trying to learn all these people. I call it pre-networking. So now when I actually make it to the bar or make it inside of the seminar room, it's my goal to shake everyone's hand and for everyone to know my name by the end of the weekend. I not, might not remember all theirs, but I'm going to try and so when I meet up with you, for instance, uh, you know, I won't even talk about business. I don't want to, people ask me about business, I will steer the conversation completely away from that and I'll start asking them personal things about them because I'm trying to find out the real things that make you tick in your personal life and make that connection. Mm -hmm. Where everyone else is trying to do business, 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 you know, we're at a seminar, no one's mailing for you right then anyways. So I'm trying to be like, oh wow, you ride mountain bikes? Oh, and then I come up with all my mountain bike stories. Well, I've seen that in action at the uh, at one of Kyle Cease's events. It was one of the first times that I'd actually met you. We'd been Facebook friends and kind of online, you know, acquaintances for for quite some time. And and when you we finally met face, you were you're like, "Oh, you're Art O'Connor. You're the mountain bike." You know, and we had this whole conversation. And and I watched you go around the room, and you did. You talked to every single person in that room. <laughs> yeah, man. I wor I worked the room. You man. totally worked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I'll work it before. If I'm speaking on stage, I'll work it before. So then I have engaged people in the audience, and uh, you know, I'll work it afterwards. And um, yeah, so me, like the networking that takes place in a lot of the events is very shallow, superficial. Mm -hmm. um, so I like to get all the, you know, they ask, well, what do you do? What do you know, it's just all that. I already know what you do. I don't need to go through those questions. So I want to show up as if I already know you. And the crazy thing is that a lot of the people that I meet at these events, they already know who I am. Mm -hmm. I might not necessarily know who, or they wouldn't expect that I would know who they are. Right. And they are blown away when I'm like, oh, Bob, yeah, I saw your kid graduated from Princeton yesterday that must have been amazing and he's just blown away <laughs> oh my gosh Moffat knows me you know not that I'm anybody really special or anything but you know to someone who's been paying attention to my journey and looks up to that kind of stuff it's huge for them yeah yeah I mean, yeah it's all the connection it's all the connection so I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and talk, so one of the you know with Wukar the three pillars of Wukar are mind body and business and we've kind of hit the mind mind business stuff but um, you know you've you've kind of gone back I mean you've been pretty open about it and talked about you haven't you know you haven't been super healthy at times where you've gotten into partying and you know just not taking care of yourself and and now you're seems like you're living super healthy I see the stuff that you're that your girl makes for you and I'm like oh man Jason's loving it yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm almost too healthy man <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean what I, are I mean, I've always, I've always preached that you, if you're going to have strong thoughts, you have to have a strong, you know, a strong body and a strong, strong mind. And they kind of, they're kind of connected. You know, I don't think you can really separate those. So maybe talk about a little bit, you know, how the differences you've seen from, you know, the times where you haven't really 
really been super healthy versus, you know, where you are now and how that's affected just your thinking and your business? Well, I don't know. I feel like when I'm really healthy, like I tend to care about more people a lot more. And so if I'm just, when I was sitting in Oregon in my cabin, I was drinking a little too much beer. It's dark outside. It rains a lot. It's very conducive to sitting inside. So I'm kind of in this like self-sabotage mode, you know, just not feeling the greatest. <laughs> and and I wasn't feeling bad or depressed or anything, but I could just, you know, I wasn't, when I was in San Diego, it was always sunny out and I'm always surfing. And I just felt great and I had all these food options that were just fantastic around me. And then um, when I moved to Oregon, it wasn't quite so much around me. It wasn't as prevalent. And I would notice as my own routine was kind of souring or going south, so would the way I would treat other people or my I would just become short with them or I don't know I just felt like I lost a lot of my compassion and I feel like the cliche phrase you are what you eat is very true mm -hmm. so if you're eating garbage you know garbage in garbage out so you know thoughts too you know like um, I'm not a big porn guy at all online but um, you know when I'm putting garbage in sometimes I, I would notice that I would kind of go there. I might not be as present in my relationships or I just make choices that weren't as good for me in, in all aspects. And, um, and I think it hurts even worse because I know so much about health. So when I'm consuming food that I know isn't good for me, mm -hmm. not only is my body like feeling it, but my mind and my esteem and myself goes down too. Yeah. And that's where, oh man, I don't want to say ignorance is bliss, but I mean, it's like I said, now I feel like I'm too healthy. I tried to drink a couple beers in the last couple of weeks, and it's just very difficult for me to do physically, but then even mentally too, because I've been studying a lot about what alcohol does to the brain and blah, blah, blah. And so I know all this stuff intellectually, and um, it's very difficult for me to consume now. Yeah, no, I, I've had similar experiences. I've, I've never been a really big drinker, but you know, I am Irish, so I've I've had my <laughs> I've had my bouts for sure, where I've got you know gotten into the partying and stuff. But you know, when I go really clean on my you know on my diet and get really good about you know training and stuff, I just find that my thoughts are a whole lot clearer, and I don't spend a lot of emotional energy worrying about you know, my health and also just worrying about what, you know, the crap that I just ate, um, you know, cause it's, it's, it tastes, you know, when you grab a, grab a donut, you eat two or three donuts, it feels good while you're eating it. But you, I mean, I don't know about you, but like five minutes later, I feel like crap. Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and then I, it just, you just, and it just kind of starts this spiral where, you know, it, it's, it gets easier and easier to do things that aren't good for you. And your thoughts kind of follow that. You know, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to surf too, which requires a ton of energy. So I can't go out and eat a crappy breakfast and then go out in big waves yeah. and think I'm going to perform, not only perform, but then stay alive. You know, half the time I'm scared to death out there. So um, I'm blessed to have a yoga studio right below my office and I'm either riding bikes or swimming or playing with the kids. So I'm, I'm super active just because it makes me just feel so much better. 
Yeah. So, you, I mean, you and I are both kind of involved in sports that, you know, you, you kind of have to be in shape to do them and you get in shape just by doing them. Do you do any kind of supplemental do you have any kind of supplemental exercise routine that you do or do you just stay fit by doing your sport well i do yoga okay and but um i don't i actually have a program called own 40 with my buddy jamie and it's a 40-day program and he handles more of the gym stuff like gym for the gym rat guys and guys who want to lift and i kind of take the side of like I don't work out I'd rather play basketball or I'd rather find the activities that are going to force me to you know move my body without having to feel like I'm going to work out I'd rather play than work out right right that's well, that's, that's hugely important to make the you know some I mean I'm I, I, you know, I train in a gym I, I train people in a gym you know every every day but it's never really resonated with me I've never if if all I had to if my only option was to train in a gym I probably wouldn't be a very fit person <laughs> I, I, would, I would lose interest in it really quickly um, you know so I think it's really important to balance out that play I, you know I do it because cycling is so one dimensional you know you get riding a bike makes you really good at riding a bike and nothing else yeah. so, so I need to do other things so you know so that when I you know Suzanne my fiance we, we love to hike and if I get really specific and just ride my bike, we'll go out for like a two hour hike and I'm sore for a week, you know? Yeah. So I have to kind of balance, you know, do other things, um, you know, and even by, you know, as much as I love biking, biking, I get bored biking, you know, I need to do, you know, especially now, I mean, now that my competitive days are behind me, you know, it's, I don't need to be riding my bike 15 hours a week anymore. You know, there's other things that I can do and there's other, you know, other things that I want to do to, to build my fitness. Yeah, I got to switch it up too. Like my elbows are just suffering from tendonitis from being overworked, doing the same thing, same thing, same thing. And uh, just repetitive motion. So I definitely, I just bought a fishing kayak the other day, but it, it, it's a rowing type. And I'm like, man, I need to stop with my arms and use my legs a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to go get a different kayak that I can propel with my feet. Oh, cool. Just, yeah, try to even that out a bit. Yeah. Nice. Well, cool, Jason. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got a lot going on and, uh, probably got a family waiting for you. it's what about five o'clock your time so <laughs> yeah it's about dinner time where that lovely lady you mentioned is going to make me some fantastic organic paleo dinner cool um if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you've got going on what's the best uh you've got a number of different different yeah, web I, properties <laughs> yeah i do i guess um if people are interested in business stuff, you could go to profitmoffit.com. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Art will probably link to the page. If you, if you yeah, know. I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Yeah, if you're confused about my spelling and my name. And then um, my personal blog is jasonmoffit.com, but I've neglected it for a long time. But I think I'm going to power that baby back up and kind of share more of my personal, motivational type stuff off of my Jason Moffitt site. And then uh, most of the business-related stuff off of profitmoffit.com. Awesome. Yeah, and you mentioned you know you mentioned some other things too. You know, I have that quick money hacks for people that are just kind of getting started out on the internet or newbies trying to figure out, hey, how do I make some money? It's a really cheap product to get in forty seven bucks. 
you know, total money back guarantee. If it's not something that resonates with you, it's at quickmoneyhacks.com. Okay, cool. Yeah, and if that's a that's a ridiculously cheap product, and if you uh, get that and don't make forty seven dollars back, then uh, you should probably fill out a job application. The entrepreneurial yeah. life isn't for you. It, totally, <laughs> it's actually one of the things that you can go in and make money in your first day yeah. without that being hyperbole. I mean, you, you genuinely can do it. You just have to go do the work. Yeah. One of those horrible four letter words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it all comes back to the work. <laughs> But as you've uh, as you live and show every day, work doesn't have you know. You can make your work, your play, your work, and work your play, and vice versa. You know, and that's kind of what's what's cool about this whole internet thing. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I feel extremely blessed, you know, to have the ride that I've had, and you know, I pray that it, I can keep it going, and you know, to be able to meet people like you along the journey, it makes it all worthwhile. So thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, Jason, and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon. All right, buddy, take care.